0: Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just wanted to say, if you like what we're doing, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you subscribe, you'll get access to exclusives, including guests, and we'll be polling patrons and generally soliciting you for ways to improve the pod. So if you get a chance, please subscribe and help Podside Picnic do more and better work. Thanks so much. everyone, welcome back to Podside Picnic. This is Connor. I'm once again here with Pete, and we're discussing a movie now in theaters for the first time. We're talking about Alita, Battle Angel. Uh, You know, this movie is based on a manga that Pete's probably going to explain in a little bit more detail. Um, You know, there's not a lot to be said about it. It's a James Cameron, Robert Rodriguez joint thing, and it's set in the distant future in sort of a classic, uh, I don't even want to get into too, too, too much. There's a there's a junky city for normal people underneath the Sky City, and uh, Alita is the cyborg battle angel in this world where people can be like cybernetically swapped between different bodies. And uh, you're already getting a sense of how much pastiche there is in this movie. Um, but uh, you know, before we get into too much detail, I have to say, folks, my co-host Pete, you did not like this movie
1: very much. <laughs> This movie was a crime against God and man. Like, whoever thought they should take Elysium, give the main character big eyes, and then have them not do anything should be arrested.
0: (laughs) Well, I believe what the kids say is, go off, King. Go off, King.
1: (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm happy to go off on it. So, like, when you have a movie like this that is about... Uh, inequality and people trying to find their inner strength. But, I mean, that's basically what the movie was about. None of those things was ever resolved. Like at the end of the movie, yeah. you have the beautiful city in the sky and you have the place below that everybody poops on and everybody who's getting pooped on is fine with it. No changes occur at all. Why did totally. this – it... Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, I was just gonna, I why, going to <laughs> I was just going to say, why did this movie happen? Like, that's my first question for you, man. Like, you watched it you you saw some validity, some useful parts to it. What if you had to pitch this movie to somebody? What's the theory? So I try to think about this carefully, and I was watching it.
0: And before I move on, I want to say, when Pete says the city's getting pooped on, literally, the Sky City is like a rounded. Sort of disc and it has like a sphincter in the middle that jettisons garbage into the normal people's city And they all pick through the garbage and their economy is based on circulating the refuse from the sky city So it's pretty overt, uh, which I think is worth noting, but okay Under what circumstances could this movie murk- work work <laughs> It murk Pete. That's for sure. Yes, it uh, did. it w- <laughs> How might it work? Well What I tried to do was I think that I was made very aware when I was watching this in the theater I watched it at 10 p.m in midtown Manhattan with a college friend of mine, and we realized at one point, based on the previews and stuff, that we're two men in our late 20s who are showing up for a 10 p.m. screening of a movie that is very clearly targeted at 12 year olds. And So, I, I say that just to note that I tried to think, would I have liked this movie when I was like 12, 13, 14? It's probably a little bit rough for kids that are a lot younger than that. There's a fair amount of violence. It gets a little bit graphic despite it being heavily CGI'd. And by the way, the uncanniness of, I mean, we're full on Uncanny Valley here where you have the cgi cyborg Alita among real action actors like Jennifer Connelly and Christoph Waltz, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Great cast, by the way. Big names. Mahershala Ali, a bunch of other people like that, that it's where it's like, wow, how did they get these people to do this movie? Uh, But how could it have worked? Well... I think that's kind of the deep, dramatic question of this podcast that we're going to have to approach from many angles. I think the first thing I want to say is um, this, I have not read the manga this is based on. I suspect that it is super pulpy to the point of being junky, I guess pun intended in the case of this story. And I think that Robert Rodriguez, the director, was the right choice for that kind of story. I think there's a version here where Robert Rodriguez, who's famous for things like Spy Kids, and uh, he did that, like, Grindhouse two part thing with Quentin Tarantino. I think Once Upon a Time in Mexico. He's a very good pulpy director, including for kids. Um, he he's a he's a pulp master. Not quite as sneeringly so as Tarantino, but he's good at the reflexivity of a sort of wised up, winking, uh, you know, jumped up B movie kind of thing. And that, in my opinion, is how this movie could have worked if it had fully leaned into that. Here's the fundamental problem with Alita Battle Angel. The fundamental problem is the guy who wrote the screenplay and produced it and who made this happen is James Cameron. Right? And... (laughs) Right. And by the way, folks, we're going to be recording about a James Cameron movie very soon, which is Aliens, a great movie. We all love early stage James Cameron, Terminator 2, Aliens, all that stuff. This is late stage James Cameron. This is Avatar James Cameron, which is a dark and ominous (laughs) thing to say, but very true. Yeah. Um, And I'm going to kick it back to Pete here. I just want to say that for me, the fundamental problems here are you have James Cameron's treacly, uh, beat you over the head, Disney-fied need to have the most jejune, uh, trite point and to hit all of the points and all of the childish emotional notes, you have that colliding with a cool, a potentially cool pulpy B-movie story, and boy, does it really not work. Uh, Pete, do you want to elaborate, enumerate some of the ways it does not work for you?
1: Okay, Sure. Um, I'm just going to start grabbing random examples and you stop me when you've had enough. All right. So, um, Alita is basically a, a brain they find in a dumpster and they build a robot around her and she has no memories of her past, right? Nothing. And so she immediately goes off like they, 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 bring her around the city and he meets this guy and she starts forming this relationship and they start getting close. I want you to remember that she has no memories at all except some functional language ones. Like she doesn't know what an orange is, right? So this movie's driving romantic force is, uh, I mean, how can you not look at that and think pedophilia? <laughs>
0: Right? I actually had – I had not had that thought, to be honest with you. Oh, my uh, god.
1: Like You mean that – go ahead. Why would you be attracted to this woman? She literally has the mind of a child. It, it, it's true,
0: actually. This is a little bit weird that she, ha- she has a boyfriend and becomes very important to the story. Uh, there's a love interest arc, and – He's like I don't know, 18, and she is a cyborg who does not look like everyone else. But again, this is a city where like people are walking around in like robot bodies and other, and people have like weird. Um, there are some non augmented people. Like Christoph Waltz is a non augmented middle aged man, which becomes funny when he tries to fight and can't swing his giant jet powered hammer. Uh, and then there are like weird cyborgs. I bring that up all to say that like yeah, she has. <sighs> she she's like very much a child in every sense physically and otherwise um there's actually a really awkward joke at one point when they put her into a new robot body that's more of a warrior body and it conforms we're told that it's conforming to her subconscious image of herself and the body like fills out and literally one of the characters says wow looks like she's older than you thought you're just like "Ooh, that's a that's a cringy moment yeah. uh that was that was bad i can't believe that made it into a pg-13 movie oh. in
1: some ways well okay. um i can i God. There was a discontinuity that is still bugging me. Like, do you remember that nurse that was helping out Dr. Ito at the very beginning? Yes. Do you remember her getting murdered? Uh, I don't actually. Okay. Did she get murdered? Yeah, well there's this, there's this point where there's a night scene and like one of the one of the hunter killer criminal people that eventually gets assassinated like comes up to her in the doorway and like puts a bunch of knives in her throat. Boom, it's like a three-second scene. And then half an hour later, she's there doing surgery. Nobody says boo about it.
0: Wow. Okay, I actually did not catch that. Um, you have a better eye for that stuff than I do. I I, I think folks, it's really important to say this movie's a narrative mess on every level. I think the scene that there are a number of like incredibly cringeworthy lines that my friend and I could not help but snicker at, which I'm honestly willing to eat that in a blockbuster and just laugh at it and move on. But I think that the, when I say narratively a mess, I mean there are things that objectively just don't make any sense. Uh, and that if it weren't James Cameron writing the script, it would've been done differently. By which I mean, for instance, there's a scene without that giving away too much, where Alita, who we've already established at this point, is a supreme badass, that the one thing she remembers how to do, of course, is kick everyone's ass. Uh, she knows a fighting method, this is where I, when I say the story is pulpy, she knows a fighting method that comes from Mars and is called Panzerkunst. It's like, you know, panzer art is what that means. Uh, and it's like, she knows this incredible martial arts that nobody else knows. And okay, we've established that in many scenes at this point, point. and someone is threatening, someone she's already beaten up, is threatening to kill uh, someone she really adores. And she stands by and lets it happen, essentially, because she's kind of mad at the person that she adores, and she's feeling ambivalent, and also the guy that does the killing is basically like, hey, this is the law. And you're just like, what is going on in this scene? She's like a super, She's obviously a superhero. We've established that she's the toughest person in this, this world, and what are we doing here? And I, I feel like we should go back and talk a little bit more about plot summary, because we've just jumped ahead to our problems a little bit, but... Yeah, so we established that she's the battle angel. She's what, found in a trash heap. Go ahead. What plot is that, Connor? <laughs> I just meant to give people a sense of what we're talking about, just to be clear. Like, all It's right. that, yeah, well, I want to flesh out this world a little bit more and say, um, you know, okay, she is, like, her head and spinal column, which is all you need in this world to transfer people between cybernetic bodies, is found in the trash heap by Christoph Waltz, who turns out to be this ace doctor working on the cybernetically modified people.
1: This is also uh, and, a monster, by the way. I want to discuss that later. Well,
0: so yeah, there's some com- there's some complexity here because one of the the main one of the major drivers of the economy in this world is, again, people are put into cybernetic bodies and their body parts are always being stolen and traded around. Uh, that's a huge plot point that comes up over and over again, and. Walt, dr. Ito is someone participating in that trade. He's also what's known as a hunter warrior Which is the bounty hunters in this world who it's very confusing basically the factory which is a corporation with connections to the sky city Is the closest thing to a law a legal authority and they have these like big robots and they put out these bounties and there's all these like Colorful mercenaries who are very again very pulpy who are going out hunting people And Of course Alita becomes one of these at the same time as she becomes a participant in the big sports game that's like you know, deadly rollerball with, with cybernetic mutants. Uh, and it's like, that's a huge thing in this story. Is this a story about becoming a badass superhero in Bounty Hunter? Is it a story about being the karate kid in the so-called motorball ring? Or what is this movie trying to do? And gosh, as Pete says, the, the fundamental problem is it never settles on it, never resolves any of that. But Pete, I want to ask you, mm-hmm. aside from the stuff that you just hated, um, yes, if you could only change one thing? what would you change about Alita Battle Angel?
1: Well, of course it would be tempting to to be cute and say the fact that it was made, but that's that's not fair. Um, (laughs) What I would say is that the characters need clear motivations. Like, throughout the course of this film, people are making decisions and interacting with each other, and it's never clear why they're doing anything that they're doing. That's, yeah, I, that's where it fails, and right. And this is James Cameron. I mean, I would, I would forgive this from a moron, right? I mean, James Cameron has made
0: some of the most important and beloved sci-fi movies ever. Uh, you know, Terminator Two and Aliens are way, way, way up there. Yeah. Um, Avatar is not as beloved, but he sure did make it, folks. And uh, <laughs> it was shiny. This, Right, and I'm honestly thinking like, man, if James Cameron wanted this to be a James Cameron movie, he should have just directed it and gone full bore. And I think him working with Rodriguez is just a weird match to attempt, uh, as I said before. I mean, so, did I even let you say what you would have changed? I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> I, I don't know, but actually I've, I've let, I want to take a hard left turn here. I've got a question for you, and it's not one we've discussed before, but it, it, it ties in so well to what we're talking about. So, like, you know, when Lucas made his first three movies and everybody decided he was God on Earth, and so he was given free reign to make the next movies, and they were just piles of excrement. Oh, yes. <laughs> I remember. Yes. Well, I mean, I guess how could – like, is that what happened to Cameron here, too? Like, what, is the reason his previous films so were so excellent was because he had a staff and he wasn't the absolute dictator in those films? Was it – is it an interplay of, of artists and not just the head guy that matters here?
0: I mean, if there's one thing that I've internalized in my extensive research of sort of the lives of narrative artists working in different media – Um, which I've done a lot of it's that as soon as you stop being challenged capably by colleagues, um, as soon as you stop hearing no ever and you stop hearing real challenges to what you're doing, uh, yeah, you'll get worse. I think that's inevitable. I don't, I don't know if anyone like maybe they're extreme outliers, like maybe James Joyce after a certain point didn't need to hear no. Okay, whatever. (laughs) Um, yeah, but I, I think like. You know, and some of the greatest filmmakers of all time have certainly in this medium worked under pretty extreme constraints, whether it's the dictates of Hollywood studios or it's, you know, Kurosawa and the post-war Japanese film industry, or it's Tarkovsky, who has to be very oblique in all of his allegories because he's working in the Soviet Union. I mean, you know, whatever it may be, Um, those limitations and hearing being told no and being challenged constantly, whether it's just bureaucratic BS or... Uh, whether it's, you know, esteemed colleagues pushing you. I think that, yeah, that's so, so, so important for anybody. And, and Cameron is clearly well beyond the point where that's happening. Um, but, you know, we're kind of like off in the ether speculating. Uh, I I think what I want to unpack here a little bit. Okay. Um, this movie is, we've kind of given a sense already, this movie is long on pastiche of many varieties, and it's kind of hard to nail down. What kind of movie it is. I mean, broadly, yeah, it's a sci fi epic uh, being set in the future. And in the past, there was a space war with the Martians. And that's important to the plot and uh, blah, blah, blah. But okay, you like to really isolate different genres, even if they're layered into movies. Sure. Um, You know, how would you describe this movie?
1: Well, um, I, I don't think the audience is going to regard this uh, very positively, but I'm, I'm really sincere about this and I feel like I can defend it. It's it's a Conan epic. It's a barbarian epic. Wow. OK, elaborate, please. So the idea is like the barbarian epic is very much like cyberpunk in that it is morally neutral. Like, sure, there's good and there's bad people and that stuff is going on in the background, but fundamentally that doesn't matter. What matters is the the development and building of that centralized hero from worthless street urchin to king. And that is the arc we had with Alita Battle Angel. She started out like she literally didn't have arms and legs... She had her first rise up where she became, like, of of somewhat significance to the city, fell again, and rose up and became the most powerful person there. And that is the Conan epic. Okay,
0: that I think is a really great analysis and a a very succinct way of putting it. And I think you're doing the version of what I'm doing more generously, which is saying, how could this have worked better? And I would fast on to what you just said and say – if there had been a clearer, more controlled and thus more fleshed out specific arc there, where Alita does she gets better at one specific thing and she develops in a more in a way that is made deeper for us, rather than saying Alita becomes a bounty hunter and she becomes an insurgent and she becomes a motorball champion and you're just like, well, Okay, well, what the fuck is Alita doing?
1: Oh, and she and, gets tits, right? And, I mean, like <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, she no, it's true. She. Yeah,
0: she. She has. She goes through puberty like as part of the story, right? Like in a sense, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, she and she. I. I mean, okay. Like, I wouldn't take her life for anything. It was obviously very hard, but like everything that made her exceptional, like a Kona epic, she didn't earn it in any way whatsoever. Like she was yeah, I mean, literally she... handed a body that made her a badass.
0: Right. She is what the uh, the anti-SJW contingent these days calls a Mary Sue, uh, which is I don't like the phrase. Cause I think it's kind of a it's just a sexist way of saying chosen one, basically. Yeah. But it's kind of that that she's a boy. I think what, it, you know, what I really mean to say is she's a chosen one in a particularly boring way, which is that she's a transcendent badass who also means very well and is willing to sacrifice for those she loves. And there's doesn't really have any moral flaws to speak of other than, you know, disobedience to her fundamentally dishonest and wrong father figure um and and also she's instantly good at everything she tries she's you know she goes from zero to hero in motorball very quickly with only one brief sequence of her struggling and then kicking somebody's ass and it's like oh guess she's gonna be champion now and she establishes in one bar fight that she's the lead bounty hunter by the way the bounty hunter bar fight scene is an example of where this movie could have gone right Cause it's like, she strides into the like, you know, outlandish kind of wild west bounty hunter bar. And she's like, Hey guys, you don't know me, but you need to band together and do what I tell you. And of course they all laugh. And then she's like, all right, if I can, I'll fight any of you. And if I can beat you, you gotta follow me. And it just devolves into this huge ball where she does beat the shit out of a lot of people. And it's this great B movie scene where you're like, yes,
1: yes. All right. I can do this. This is, this is Tarantino. This is Rodriguez at his best. Um, and, and again, every every 12-year-old male has had that fantasy. I mean, you nailed it with that description. Like, I totally remember daydreaming about kicking everybody's ass in a room at that age. It's perfect. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, 30-year-old males have that fantasy, too, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, To be fair, yeah. spoilers for my audience here. Once you get about 35, you begin to get really suspicious that that's never going to happen. <laughs>
0: Pete, you, you gave me one of my one reason that we're co-hosts is because you said to me one of the favorite replies I've ever received on Twitter, which is that I think I mentioned John Wick in some joking capacity and you said I can remember it all word for word. You said there is a season of life at which you realize you will not be John Wick or Indiana Jones because you like things like hot showers too much.
1: <laughs> it's true,
0: man. I I feel you. I hear you. It's a great line.
1: <sighs>
0: <laughs> right and, and again Alina battle angel it's important to note go, to go back there Like this is a movie for 12 or 13 year olds and it fulfills some of their fantasies I think it could have done a better tighter more straightforward in, in many ways This is a movie that could just be made more straightforward if the plot were simpler and if you removed moments like like for instance There's some stuff. That's just clumsy where it's like all right We've established this is a world where there are cyborgs and humans floating around and a lot of people have some kind of cybernetic modification and everyone's basically cool with that. There's not a lot of like you know sort of othering on either side there. Um, except when they fight people. There's a like I think of meat boy is a slur from cyborgs onto people or whatever. But who cares? Yeah. And uh, the, but and the yet, opposite. They have to, the opposite is hard body. By the way, right? Okay, so hard bodies and meat boys. And and there's a moment. Of course, this is the problem having James Cameron involved because of course there has to be a moment where. Alita's falling in love as a, as an obvious cyborg and by the way she has one reason she has like bigger than usual eyes and stuff Is apparently that like she's from Mars and the Martians are like pretty human, but look a little bit different We, we get flashbacks about that. Sorry to spoil it for you folks, but uh, anyway She looks different and she's a cyborg and she's falling in love with a human and Of course it's James Cameron. She has to say something like I, you know I just worry that I'm not human and her boyfriend just says oh, you're more human than anyone I've ever met
1: that is the most <laughs> gibberish damn line I have ever heard in my life. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. You
0: kind of know what you're supposed to feel at that moment, which is touched. But you just get angry because you're like, why am I being manipulated in this, in this incredibly ham-handed way? Like, it's fine for them to have a love story, but you don't have to have that shit in there. Come on. Like, just treat, give us a little bit more credit. you know? Cameron
1: fumbling at my bra straps. No, thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah no it's it's there's just a lot of painful moments like that i mean and, and there's moments where so a lot of a lot of the problems with this movie like there is you have a lot of great actors who are really struggling with this script um jennifer connelly accomplished actress uh is very very wooden and i think she was told to be by rodriguez and she is just not doing a just it's just a tough situation for us
1: completely wasted
0: yeah totally wasted uh marshall ali has some moments where he gets to be his sort of spooky, intimidating best. um, Briefly, at least, he's a bad guy. And, you know, he's good at that. He's got that presence. He's tall. He's good at towering over people and being menacing. And he's like, uh, you know, but he says he pulls it off because he's a great actor. But he's like a line where he literally says, well, I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. And it's like, oh, okay, Uh... which is a great, you know. Really important line in sentiment in the history of literature, but it just doesn't, it doesn't be so on the nose, right? Yeah. Um, and by the way, speaking – it also, again, doesn't make sense because he is serving the ultimate bad guy who turns out to be Ed Norton. Again, sorry for spoilers, but there's a guy up in the Sky City where the characters never actually make it to, setting up the obvious sequel. She has to go up there, et cetera, et cetera. It's not brain. Well,
1: so. that's exactly right. He <laughs> serves in hell. He's not. He, he, like, yeah. He's got no basis for making that claim because he's absolutely bottom rung on it. Yeah, and, and, right, so
0: if you if you had taken the time, if, they, if they'd taken the time to make all this kind of add up and make sense, and if they'd really honored this world they inherited from this manga, um, and they had just admitted, you know what, this is pulpy and kind of cheesy, and we're going to lean into that, we're going to just have fun with this, we're not going to try to make people take it seriously, we're not going to try to make it particularly pointed, but we're just going to tell a fun, I would say cyberpunk saga, I'll use that word, it's overused and probably only loosely it's, applies here, but
1: It's fair. I think it's a fair description. I mean, you could come up with something that's more on point, but like if you if you say cyberpunk, you're within a rock's throw of what this is.
0: Yeah, and there was something there potentially. I mean, like Alita, I always thought I think it's really funny is that she's like in some ways she's the cyberpunk heroine to end all cyberpunk heroines because, you know, like pretty much every cyberpunk heroine for 35 years, she's got she's like partly a Molly Millions homage. But she uh <laughs> uh from neuromancer but you know uh she not only is she like a space super warrior who is found and is instantly amazing and all kinds of things she's also growing up in this like incredibly cyberpunk dirty uh city playing like rollerblade motorball and it's like she's got both coming from both directions she's got the whole double you know double whammy of being a cyberpunk hero so it's like it's like i there's a part of me that wants to say oh that's kind of cool and it, and if you had just embraced the childish hilariousness of it, um, it could have been a much more charming movie. But again, James Cameron wants this to be uh, have some kind of cloddish point about uh, inequality and stuff uh, and how, you know, the Martians of which she's the only one remaining or whatever that we know of were we're actually right because they're trying to destroy the sky cities and the human society sucks and all the most obvious stuff you could you could imagine all the same stuff as Avatar essentially.
1: Yeah, and I mean I don't want to be cruel to James Cameron because I think he's done some fantastic work over the years, but fundamentally he is too compromised to make a moral point about poverty. I mean, I, I maybe yeah. that's a terrible thing to say, but fundamentally, he's built a world where there's rich and there's poor. The rich are literally crapping on the poor, and at the end of the day, nothing is done about it, and nothing will be done about it. And he thinks he's making a moral argument. His moral yeah. argument can get stuffed, as far as I'm concerned. Right.
0: I mean, he and everyone else involved in this film, they did not spend a lot of time thinking through the actual – what would the implications of the supposed abnegation of the people in this city be? Because no one is actually depicted as like genuinely desperately poor. Like no one in the city is like starving. There's no like real grit. There's a lot of like, well, the streets aren't particularly clean and a lot of crime. There's a lot of stealing of body parts sure. that goes on. So well, fair the, enough. But The like, most
1: moral person in this, that doctor, every task he does enables the system. He gives free medical care to like the motorball people and the hunter killers, and then to fund it, he goes off and he acts as a hunter killer and like un- enforces the unfair system. And he's held up as sort of the the moral compass of this movie because this movie has no moral compass.
0: Yeah, and I thought Christoph Waltz gave probably the best performance uh, of anyone he again did. with thin material, but he does it. He does, he's really good at playing is sort of sighing weight of the world doctor uh, type, and uh, you know some funny moments with him. Again, he's a hunter warrior. Most hunter warriors are like extreme cyborgs, and he's just a middle aged man with a giant hammer he can barely swing, which yeah. I think is hilarious.
1: Yeah, it is pretty funny. It's like,
0: it's watching him fight. Is you're just like, how does this guy stay alive this long? But um, it, yeah, no, I, I, you're you're totally right. Almost all like the 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 economy of this. There is, I mean, again, this world could be interesting where it's like the economy literally based on refuse and everyone has been very – I think cunningly by the SkyMath, Sky City people mm-hmm. has been cunningly funneled into roles where they're going to serve the interests of the Sky City. And that's – like it's actually – I think that probably in the original story this was all fairly well thought out, certainly better thought out than the movie. It just isn't fleshed out in an interesting way. Um, again, they go out – like, it's like, okay, are they locked in the city? Is the world outside the city poison and useless? No. They go out in the city just as a on a day off essentially to go hiking, and that's a key plot point because Alita goes and finds her you know Martian battle suit um, that's so important and has like latent memories coming back, and it's like okay outside the city are a bunch of pretty pleasant looking industrial farms and some cool hiking trails, but apparently everyone wants to stay in this supposedly miserable cyberpunk city, and you're just like why 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 like. At least give me
1: at least give me reasons why everyone has to come here because man, it looks pretty nice outside the city. Yeah. Even even if they just said that's where the jobs are, it would have been good enough for me. But you're right; it's very odd. Even that, yeah. yeah. So so Connor, like we've established that, yeah. I mean, you you saw this movie's charms, and I clearly mostly didn't. Um, describe the scenario under which this movie could have worked in your eyes. Well, step one is what you basically already said, which is James
0: Cameron needed to not be involved. This is not the 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 core of this story that could have been good needs to not involve someone on Cameron's wavelength. Yes. Um. Yeah. It need. You know. Again, Robert Rodriguez by himself could have done this if he'd written and directed it. I think he could have pulled it off in a much cooler way. Um. You know, I can imagine. Phew, I think anyone would have done a better job than Cameron in some ways. Uh. But. I'm trying to think off the top of my head of who I would have picked to direct this in my fantasy world if I just, just to adapt this specific world and try to do it. Um I'm gonna keep thinking about that because I don't have anyone off the top of my head.
1: But I'd I'd like to see is, what Carpenter would do. Uh yeah. Oh, that's a good one.
0: John Carpenter with a big budget. I haven't thought that's a great idea, actually. Yeah, sh- All right. Schlock fest, good man. Yeah, we should <laughs> right. Carpenter schlocking it up would have been the bomb. That would have been really cool, actually um and again that's t- you know in some ways that's tough when you have a movie that you're pitching at like 12 year olds but um <laughs> so so first step is you remove cameron from the equation yeah and then you say all right do we really need the motorball narrative and the hunter uh, warrior narrative and what can we streamline and cut here and it's like all right well we'll just have a straightforward story where she becomes a bounty hunter and is steered towards her epic fate of taking down a sky city uh, and we'll just trim it to that, and we'll have more time to develop all the characters around her, and at every turn, we're going to lean into, like, yeah, we're doing a somewhat reflexive, pulpy story where she's going to get into these cool kind of chop bar brawls and stuff, and that could have been kind of cool, actually.
1: I'll be honest. The motorball thing makes me as angry as just about anything else in there because, like, how could anybody watch a pod racing scene and then turn around and say, you know what kids want today? A pointless, inexplicable sport buried in the middle of my sci-fi epic.
0: Oh, I love that you brought up pod racing because as we're walking into the theater, my friend, who's a big film nerd as well, he immediately said, oh, God, that reminded me of episode one. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And, yeah, no, that's a um, a great comparison. No, you're totally right. Like, I think that... There's a certain phenomenon that happens with directors or um, directors and/or producers who don't get challenged, and in this case, it's the producer not being challenged that I've noticed. And you know, I, I saw the awful Clint Eastwood movie, The Mule, uh, a couple months ago. That again, clearly, no one made a pass over that screenplay except for Eastwood and the and the writer. Uh, and it is, folks, that is truly, truly, truly one of the very worst movies I have ever seen. Oh, Do not watch The Mule. Dude, but back to this movie. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Someday I'm going to make you watch Galaxy of Terror. Like, be very afraid. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you.
0: And, you know, B-movie movie shittiness is a whole other thing. But, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, honestly. Okay. But back, back to this. um, you know, there's a lot of things that Hollywood has learned about blockbusters since episode one came out in the 20 years in the interim. Right. And a lot of those lessons I think could have been smartly applied to this movie. Like if you had, if this movie were just a Marvel, like whatever faceless team of Marvel writers were putting this together, it would have been a lot better. I promise you, because they would have been applying the accumulated wisdom of, you know, the Marvel machine and all their algorithms and all that. And like, they would have at least been like, well, This might end up being bloodless and predictable and all these other things, but man, it's at least not going to be a narrative mess that doesn't make any sense. I mean, Marvel movies make sense for crying out loud. They have to make too much sense. That's the problem. Um, You know, so this is again a case where a director is stepping outside of, in some ways, stepping outside of where the industry is at. Because Cameron was uh, Cameron and whoever else is involved with this were given the chance to make a thing that, by the way, I'm sure is pretty cool in IMAX. I didn't see it in IMAX, but based on how it's filmed, if you were seeing this on a rounded screen above you, it would probably be pretty neat in some ways because it is, you know, they take advantage of that. And there's some there's a some cool there's a lot of cool visuals in it. Um, but this is someone actually. This is not like a typical bad, not a typical mediocre blockbuster of our moment. This is like a throwback to an older kind of bad blockbuster when they were allowed to be uh baggier and not algorithmically bad but just like bad writer bad
1: (laughs) yeah um okay there was something else i wanted to hit you with on this oh i i just want to see if we're in alignment on this so you know uh, alita battle angel is she's brought into the world with basically no memories about her past connor what do you think would happen if she instantly got the ball back. Oh, I have to think about how that fits into this world. Um, are you like how would the story have been different? Basically, yeah, I I'm of the opinion she would have murdered everyone.
0: Ah, well, okay, you make you're bringing up an interesting point here, which is again, folks, this is a major spoiler. Forgive me, but um, she again,
1: I'm she's sorry. A Mar-
0: <laughs> yeah, what she is is a Martian super soldier, uh, and Mars and Earth united the erm the United Republics of Mars, which again have humanesque people who might just be sort of mutated humans, who look like Alita, um, fighting for Mars and Earth. Had a big war 300 years prior to this, um, and before that there were a bunch of these sky cities floating like Zalem, which is the name of the one in this, and and they all were destroyed I think in a major Martian attack and Zalam was the only one that survived. And the one thing we know about the Martians is, well, we know a couple things. We know that they're they're depicted doing like very uh, you know, East Asian martial arts stuff, which is what Alita knows how to do. And they seem to have a more egalitarian and less overtly awful society. And we also can infer that because their big imperative that her commander is telling her is not only do you have to kill Ed Norton, that's like that's been drilled into her for 300 years. Ed Norton's been alive that whole time. Hey, and, and I
1: stand behind that, man. We should all strive to kill Ed Norton. Right, yeah. Get Ed Norton. Uh
0: and and that's drilled into her, but also what's drilled into her, the overwhelming mission of these Martian super soldiers was you need to go and destroy the Sky Cities. Get the Sky Cities. And the, and you know, that's a clear setup for Alita. Like she once she remembers that, she's she's it's clear that she's gonna have to go back at some point out to the Sky City and try to destroy the whole shebang. Uh, which, by the way, when she does so, is going to fall on Iron City below it. So I, I don't know how that's going to work. She's but... going to
1: murder <laughs> millions,
0: millions yeah, of people. But, but the point you're raising is she is an intergalactic or inter—sorry, inter—uh, within the solar system, but she's an interplanetary. I should say. There you go. Enemy of Earth and the human race as we know them. She is a, she's programmed that way. She was trained that way. She was trained to inflict massive damage on Earth, if not to destroy the entire human race. And we she's know that pod about. racing. And she's, she's pod racing. And yeah, so she's going to go full Death Star on Earth. Like, if she had her memories back, would she just kill everybody? Interesting question. I, actually, the way I read it, though, Pete, is that the Martians wanted to destroy the Sky Cities and that they're the good guys because they wanted to destroy the Sky Cities and create a more egalitarian Earth. That was the the coding that I was getting from it. That could be totally wrong, but that was my inference.
1: Oh, so in this in this world, Mars is America. Uh,
0: <laughs> you immediately jump to the cynical imperialist reading of this, which I think is is a good move with blockbuster movies in general. Um, yeah, Mars is the good empire, I think, and there there is a, I, I, one of the most char- one of the most charmingly stupid again because you can read this as a B movie at moments. Charmingly stupid moments is. Two of her like side character friends who aren't really important at all are talking. And once they find out she's a Martian and they're like, oh, man, but like she's from Mars. She's the enemy. And one of them's like, yeah, 300 years ago. Get over it, man. (laughs) It's like. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And we don't know what happened to Mars, by the way. They might still be out there. And if there's a sequel, there might be more Martians or whatever. But um, I don't. Yeah, I I think that if there's if there's a benign between these two giant. You know uh, space forces I think the Martians are meant to be the good guys and I think that again this is the ham of James Cameron thing they're meant to be the good guys because they want to destroy the obviously evil and un- just ridiculously callous and awful sky cities um, that gives them a leg up on the people living there at least so yeah
1: yeah well and like uh- Okay, we're dealing with manga, so when you say something like cartoonishly evil, it doesn't really have the same bite that it normally would. Because of course it's cartoonishly evil, but like the things that the sky city is doing to the uh, the latrine below, if you will, don't make any sense. Like, I don't understand why you would not permit a government in the city below you that supplies you with food. And I don't understand why the only set of laws you would provide is a list of bounties for people you don't like. And I don't understand why a key point of all this is that this city is a one-way door. And the most important thing is that everybody you're pooping on down below, be aware they could never go upstairs. None of these things make sense to me. Like, why yeah, would you do them?
0: The really strict rule is you live in the sky city, if you're born there, lucky you, but if you ever leave, you can't come back and literally no one from below once you're below, that's it. not coming back. There is no traffic between the two at all, so and that is yeah. did
1: you ever watch adventure time? um? like once or twice i know what it is okay well there's an adventure time episode where there's a bunch of animals that live in a tree and they believe this tree is the whole world and they're like everything else is fake and no nobody can leave the tree the city is the adventure time tree and i don't know why like it's just as crazy here as it was there well i want to give them the benefit of the doubt here and say that in the sequel which
0: cameron clearly wants to have made that we'll learn more about the whys of the Sky City. And and look, man, I, I'm willing to eat that kind of thing. Like, I get why it's frustrating for you, but that to me, like, pure omission and just dangling the mystery is better than, like, clottish explanation. So that that I, I will accept, I guess.
1: But. And yeah, I you've got a point. Like, there are a lot of movies that would leave stuff like that out and I just wouldn't pay attention. But, like, once once a movie starts to fray... One of the things I do to keep it together is start pulling at the threads. And this one, I mean, I'm sorry, it came apart in my hands. And I think that's a shame. Like, can I talk? I don't know much about it, but I'd like to talk briefly about the manga where this came from. Yeah, please do. Okay, well, um, it's 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 Battle Angel. And it's uh, like a mid-90s thing. It was in a magazine that ridiculously is called Business Jump. But apparently Business Jump in Japan is like a good manga magazine. Like, like that's a respectable place to originate from. And it is, I mean, it is a solid action manga. Like it's, it's coherent. The art is good. People like the artists. It, it's got legs. So the idea that you would take this and port this over on the one hand is great and on the other hand is terrible because like the oh okay I'll just argue with everybody what the heck I think one of the best comics ever made hands down was Watchmen and oh
0: I completely agree you're not going to get a disagreement from me
1: Well you know the port over of Watchmen from comic book form to movie form was perfect i mean it was almost frame by frame the only thing they did was oh no <laughs> they 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 yanked out the tentacles and then they yanked out the the pirate cannibalism stuff oh no did you like the watchman movie <sighs> i was a little disappointed because i th- oh, okay i think it was um uh, i mean it was designed to be a comic and it worked as a comic. And if you took everything frame by frame and you made it a movie, it it just lost a lot of its charms. Because, like, in, in the comic, you can stare at a panel and you can look for little things and you can find connections and you can, you know, do that sort of thing. But a movie, you know, two hours, you're done. It's just yeah, not I mean, the same experience.
0: Having messed around with it a little bit myself, uh, Moving stories between different forms is profoundly hard, and it should be profoundly hard, and it should be transformative. And I didn't like the Watchmen movie precisely because it thought it could get away with porting it pretty cleanly. And I, I have a lot to say about that movie um, that wouldn't even be worth getting into. But yeah, I, I think that you have to understand it's going to be a transformative process, and that you and this is, I think, again the admissions that were made. They they seem to have not tried to port over the tone, which is something that you probably can move across forms more yes. easily. They seem to have missed out on the tone and instead said, okay, we need both the motorball arc and the bounty hunter arc and the love arc. And it's like, well, you don't need all of the arcs in this manga, which is a fundamentally different storytelling medium.
1: That's what you can leave out. Um, Yeah. Well, and there's, there's also, when you're dealing with a manga, and like, okay, can I just say I'm of the wrong age to have this discussion well. I think a lot of our audience could have it a lot better. But when you're dealing with a manga, there's all sorts of, of, of traditions and understood subtext and these things that make it work. And if you, like, scoop the meat of that up and you drop it into another uh, medium... Man, you'd better be talented at it. You'd better know what you're doing. And I don't feel like they did there. Like you could look you could look at frames from the manga and look at this movie and say, "Yes, you ported it over." But you can't just port it over because it's a different medium and it screws it up. Yeah, and I think one thing that's obvious now that you get into this
0: is James Cameron clearly read this in a translation or whatever uh, or had it, you know, whatever however he experienced it. And he did not I, – I actually haven't – having not read it, I can't say this categorically, but I feel like he probably just didn't get it. And what I mean by that is because he's not immersed in that tradition and he's not aware of all the metatextuality and the way it's interacting with other things in this same form and how it fits into this tradition, um, I think I think he's missing – tone is understating it. I, I think he's missing sort of like why is it that this is not the story that you're going to use to make your heavy-handed uh, – you're just as human as I am point. It's like nobody like it's it's a goofy, ridiculous cyberpunk world with cyborgs walking around. Nobody gives a shit about that. The nature of being human shit. This is not AI. OK, yeah. uh, <laughs> like this is what this is about, man. Like this is a freaking pulpy genre story that, yes, is not the, it's not the same as an American pulpy genre story for a lot of for various reasons that I can't even elaborate. But one thing I can say for sure is trying to impose the most cloying, treacly, uh, block like old older school not even marvel era but like older school treacly blockbuster shit onto it is clearly not going to work and if you're listening to this james cameron first of all please donate to the patreon uh second of all stay closer to home man like you first of all you can do original screenplays uh your screenplay for aliens was bomb. it's a great piece of screenwriting do more of that probably don't mess around with manga Uh, you know that's it takes a lifetime to figure out and um, you got better things to do man
1: (laughs) James Cameron is just about the only person I can think of who can successfully make a sequel in a different subgenre. you know it's like Alien was a horror movie and Aliens was kind of a war movie nobody can do that like that crap is impossible but he did yeah
0: And again, he wrote the screenplay for it. He directed it under very adverse circumstances uh, in the UK. And like so many things about how he got aliens made are so impressive. And I will always love this man for that because that is a bomb movie, which we're addressing soon, folks, as an exclusive for our Patreon subscribers. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, um, yes to all of that. Yeah, I just think that there's a lot of missed opportunities here because I really wanted to be charmed by this. And at times I was. I think I was most charmed during the bar fight scene. Um I'm trying to think of other things other like specific moments I liked. I liked that like I liked the video gameness of being like, All right, we're on a day off, gonna go to the hinterlands and go hiking. And guess what? We're gonna show you a uh, you know, crash landed Martin Martian battle cruiser that's been sitting here for hundreds of years, and you're gonna go in and be able to open the door because of your Martian code in your dna or whatever Why and get not? a martian <laughs> battle suit well no but see i actually kind of like that stuff because it's like I- i'm happy to see that kind of like video game uh wanderiness at times as long as it doesn't like take over the story into real things so that's like fine That's just a set piece where it's like how does elita end up with a martian battle body that's a perfectly good way to do it um you know there were there were a lot of moments like that where i was like you know yeah this uh this doesn't have to be terrible. And then there are moments where the writing just didn't make sense and the world felt fundamentally dishonored and misused, uh, which was a lot of it. Um,
1: So I'm going to give you something that will make you laugh. Was it – was that Jennifer Lawrence who played the doctor who used to be married to Dr. Ito? No, that's um, Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly. Because you know who I thought it was the whole time? Demi Moore. Oh, Oh, wow. Because Uh. I am old (laughs)
0: uh interesting well i mean they do look kind of similar but uh well i'm I'm double i'm double checking to make sure that i'm right um so
1: jennifer if you're listening i'm very sorry and please give to the patreon
0: (laughs) right uh christoph waltz you were awesome marshall if you're hearing this all of you are welcome to subscribe to the patreon we would welcome it uh
1: so yeah that is
0: jennifer Connolly. i double checked
1: okay (laughs) So is Ali in every movie coming out right now cuz I I really like the last movie I saw was what was it Green Book?
0: Yeah, I mean, well remember he he won an Oscar was it 2 years ago or last year?
1: I I don't watch the Oscars, man. <laughs> yeah, so so he had his big like uh,
0: you know, success in the recent past, and he's in True Detective and stuff. So yeah, I think yeah. he's had a...
1: I, I see this as a moment where like, clearly he's getting the cash in. <laughs> okay, well, and uh, put like yeah. that, good for him. Like, I, I want his hot tub to be filled with cash. He's a great actor. He deserves it. Well, and again, I don't know how actors pick scripts. I assume these
0: people were all very well compensated. I also would guess that um, they were hopeful, at least, based on the premise, and that Cameron and Rodriguez were involved. They're like, this could be a really fun kind of rollicking genre story for, for you know for younger audiences and mm-hmm. not quite but you know I can see how you could be hopeful about this project. That's that's my thing is you know Pete's, Pete is I think the roles that we fill, especially with movies, Pete's going to tug at the threads and unravel the whole thing and I'm gonna follow behind him trying to stitch them back up in what might have been a better design from the beginning. Like that's that's kind of how we do this. Well,
1: uh, on that note, I do have one last question for you. Um, and it ties back to the mission, and assuming we have a mission of our podcast, um, what what is it? Well, what does this movie say about where sci-fi is now as a mass cultural category, especially when you're dealing with like this kind of blockbuster?
0: Um, I think it says some some alarming things to me, which is that that a film like this, this messy and this much of a missed opportunity. Felt okay doing a, a really sprawling and lazy, um, I would say cyberpunk pastiche, and that we take those tropes so much for granted. Like as Pete and I have discussed, we've been in kind of stuck in cyberpunk mode in the science fiction world, especially for movies for like thirty-five years. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's like we just have not moved past that moment in a lot of ways, uh, and I think this showed a kind of more abundance, the kind of deadness. To it. It didn't have to it didn't have to this world could have done justice to some of that and been like perfectly cool without being especially innovative but um, It did it did feel a little bit. I was like, are we again? This is a city that picks through the the, the trash pile full of machine parts and corpses from up above It's like are we are we picking through the you know, the corpses in the trash pile of, of cyberpunk with this movie? Because uh, it kind of felt that way at times and I was like, ah, is this is this where we've ended up I, and I don't have a fully functional theory, but it didn't make me feel good about where sci-fi and specifically cyberpunk is at. Uh, yep. It really, to, to me, it underlined the situation where it's like, we need to find something that is somehow beyond cyberpunk, um, and we need to think about what that is, and it is not going to be Hope punk If you say that to me, uh, I will block you on Twitter. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, we need, we that, that this movie drives home the imperative like we've got to move science fiction forward because it's increasingly pervasive in our culture and the pervasiveness means that it's being used to nefarious ends in pretty lazy arguably cynical movies and um we gotta push back at that
1: yeah well i think ultimately and here's where i'm going to be positive for a change fundamentally science fiction is a subversive form like It's designed to turn in your hand and go right back after you because it's speculation about what the future is going to be, and that's never going to be comfortable for anybody. So while I think there's always going to be appeal for the cyberpunk morality is gibberish viewpoint, I, I don't think it's going to dominate long term. I think, I think as other artists enter the field, that's going to change.
0: And I really hope you're right, and let's hope that we as a, we as a people – and move on from Alita Battle Angel. Thanks for <laughs> listening. <laughs>